welcome to a special Wednesday edition of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name is Christopher Brown and I will be your host. Since the launch of the show, I've been asked the same thing. Why are you doing this? And I give everyone the same answer. This podcast is about talking to people and just having a discussion. Today, we often find ourselves becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in mid-2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again. So with no notes, no questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I sit down with Canadian singer and songwriter Theo Tams. Theo and I chat about his recent album, called The Doctor, and his newest single, The Last Song. We also talk about his writing style, how he views the music industry today, and how he is connecting with his fans in the age of COVID-19. So with that, here now is Cross Border Interviews featuring Theo Tams. I want to thank you very much for doing this. Uh, you probably have other bigger interviews that you probably could be doing right now, but uh, to take time and do uh, my show, that's greatly appreciated. Yeah, of course. Um, I usually ask every entertainer I talk to, uh, the very first question I usually show, uh, ask them is, where did your sense to entertain come from? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know if mine was necessarily... Uh a sense of, of entertaining. I think maybe it's it's grown into that a little bit more over the past decade. But I think for me, uh, the start of it was just really needing a, a vessel to kind of channel, um, you know, my own feelings and my own experiences and to try to kind of make sense of all that. And then I think once I figured out that, or once I started getting the response that people were relating, um, you know, their own stories and their own experiences to to my music and to my stories. I think that that's kind of when I started really thinking about it as a career and kind of trying to take it to the, yeah, the entertaining level as opposed to just the creative level. And what about... I think those two, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I just think that those two things are different. Like, there's so many people who are who are creative, but it's whether you're willing to parlay that creativity and that art into entertainment. And where did that creativity come for you? Uh, I, I've done research on you, and you, you talk about your mother and how she sort of helped you in your uh, uh, musical endeavor. But was it your? Was there anyone else in your life that sort of helped that uh, creativity spark? Um, I would say, like, I mean, I came from a very musical family, so music was always something that was really celebrated um, and always very, very much encouraged. Um, I still, to this day, like, consider myself more of a writer than a musician. Um, Writing has always been something that um, has kind of been on the forefront. I was always writing poetry and short stories before I even knew anything about music. So um, that's kind of always been... Um, the primary for me and still is, I mean, obviously music is now like the biggest part of my life, but um, I don't think I could ever be an artist that doesn't sing their own material. Uh, It has to come from, from me. Um, And in terms of, yeah, other influences that kind of helped spark uh, the creativity, I was just, I mean, even given the fact that I was raised in a very strict Christian environment, I was just blessed with, the most incredible 
arts teachers. My music teachers uh, from a very young age um, were incredible. My music teacher in high school is still one of my biggest mentors. Uh, my drama teacher was this incredible man. My actual like um, uh, like visual art teacher was phenomenal. So, um, and these were Christian teachers at my Christian high school, you know? So the fact that I still have an amazing relationship with them, uh, just speaks volumes of their character, um, in the sense that I think they really saw something in me that they wanted to help, um, build and to help, uh, you know, to help me kind of be able to find a way to really express that. And they were willing to kind of put our differences in in faith aside. I wasn't out then, but I mean, it definitely didn't take a rocket scientist to kind of figure out that I was on the other side of that spectrum. So um, yeah, it's funny. I actually just spoke to my, uh, my high school uh, music teacher just a few days ago, and he is still just uh, like such a cool dude. So yeah, I, I think like not only the family you influence, but uh, just being surrounded by really, really, um, given the Christian environment, still very liberal thinking uh, teachers. And now I want to dive a little bit into what you just said there about the writing. Um, you, you consider yourself a writer before a musician. So when you're writing either uh, when you were writing a poem growing up or even uh, now when you're writing for an album, what is your style? Is it only things that have happened to you and sort of telling a story of what's sort of gone through your life or do you take everyday scenarios and sort of try to work and try to write around that I think that it's a bit of both um, for me I definitely try to write the most from personal experience I find um, at least for me I know that a lot of artists have a, a different process but for me it kind of just helps me maintain like a certain level of authenticity um, I have a tendency a really bad fucking tendency to overthink uh, and overanalyze uh, so I find when it's something that has directly um, affected me then that kind of second guessing is gone um, but I think I mean as any creative person will tell you, I don't think that we necessarily get to choose where inspiration comes from. Uh, I think that the most random thing can in inspire me. I definitely have a tendency of writing when I'm upset or I'm angry or I'm hurting. That's kind of my go-to. Um, but it's been, you know, in the last couple of years, I really challenged myself to kind of step outside of that and to be able to write when I am happy and joyful and excited. Um, but to that point, I think that like there's been a lot of times that like, you know, my partner, for example, he can look at me the wrong way and the next day I'll write a song about breaking up, you know. So I think it's uh, <laughs> it's just about taking these small moments and um, and blowing them up into something that is is going to be. Um, much more relatable to the listener. And who, who criticizes your work the worst? Is it yourself? Do you actually internalize uh, this isn't good enough, this I could do better here, or do you give it to your partner or give it to your uh, parents or your former uh, music teachers and say, can you critique this because I'm looking at it with my set of eyes and I need another set of eyes to look at it? Um, yes and no. I mean, I feel like you're never going to be able to please. It's one thing that I've learned, you know, being in this industry the past 12 years uh, professionally is that like, you're not going to ever be able to please everyone. Um, 
you know, I find that within my team, and this is a team that I, I trust fully and I have built over the past decade, um, you know, everyone from, you know, the, uh, the creative li- the liaisons at Slate Music and the A&R guy and the A&R girl and the president of the company and then throw, you know, my own uh, support network in there. I'm a couple of my close friends who are musical, my partner. Um, what could be, you know, the A&R guy's favorite song is a song that, you know, isn't on my top five list. And a song that's my favorite isn't resonating with my partner or with. So I think it really has to come down to, um, at the end of the day, I'm the artist that's on stage going to be performing and selling these songs. So they have to be believable by me, first and foremost. And it's my job as the artist to kind of uh, steer the ship. So if the team necessarily isn't on board with something that I really, really believe in, um, then it's my job to convince them. And I've I've talked to musicians in the past, and one that I've spoken to has said um, when they put out an album, whether it be uh, Greatest Hits or a brand new uh, album that they're just putting out for the first time, they try to make the album all number one hits. They try to look at it and say, I can, this album, no matter what song we pick from it, we can make it as a single. Do you do that as well? Um, I think, you know, for me, it definitely depends on what the purpose of that project is. I still, um, and maybe I'm a bit old school that way, it might be to my detriment, but I feel that like within an EP or an album, Overall, even though each song individually stands for something and tells its own story, I want the whole project to be uh, cohesive and to to tell a bit of a story, too. I think that's why, especially if I'm doing a full-length album, um, EPs are a little bit different. When they're only five or six songs, I think that that way you can kind of play around with with sonics and production style a little bit and even subject matter not everything has to kind of line up um but i don't know if i go in with the mentality that every single song has to be a single i never thought that the last song um could ever be a single it was just something that i knew was going to resonate with people and uh you know, a song that was super personal to me. And that's the song off of, you know, the EP Call the Doctor that's gotten the most traction uh, with the audience. So you never know. I mean, the music industry is changing so quickly and everything is so fluid right now that by the time you write these songs and record these songs and do your artwork and release it, it might not be single worthy anyway. So I think you really just have to go with songs that constantly speak to you and that you're willing to perform over and over and over again and that you hope the audience is going to see themselves in. So now you, you talked about your latest EP called uh, Call the Doctor. What was the story behind that? What, were the, what was the story that you were trying to tell in that, in that uh, uh, EP? Call the Doctor uh, for me is like every single EP that I've released or album I've released um, is very, very, um, you know, mirroring, mirroring um, a, a specific point in my life. 
um, Call the Doctor for me was just really written from a state of panic in a sense. Um, it was, I had probably been working on songs since Back Pocket came out in 2014. I hopped back into the studio in 2015. Um, I took a bit of time off, then hopped right back in in 2015. And I think I probably wrote a hundred songs that uh, I was taking to the label. And just every single time we would get super excited about the material. And then um, about two, three weeks later, they would say, oh, you know, we would be really cool for this song if we pitch it to this girl, if we, if we pitch it to this guy. Or maybe like these songs we could really pitch to film or television, um, which obviously those are all really cool things. But <clears throat> for some reason, there was something blocking uh, what I really needed to create. And I remember working with Rob Wells. He was going to he was originally going to be the producer of, of Call the Doctor. Um and uh, we ended up going with with someone else, but uh, I still co-wrote half that EP with him uh, and his partner Shoba. And I just remember going in with them, um, kind of, I probably I'd say for the third or fourth time at this point, probably a year and a half after we had first started writing for for that record, and uh, just kind of having a bit of just a it wasn't necessarily a breakdown I think it was just finally coming to terms with the fact that like you know my career necessarily wasn't going in the direction that I wanted and I was feeling pushed and pulled by so many different influences in the industry and I think that was just a really clairvoyant moment for me in the sense that I was just like you know what like fuck this like I'm done trying to write what other people are expecting or what other people want because when I do that, clearly it's not resonating with anyone. So, and that's when we wrote Good For You, uh, which is the first song off Call the Doctor, um, kind of the opening song. And Good For You is was a song that was actually written about, um, literally, we turned it into kind of a love song gone wrong, but it, it was written about my place in the industry and just really wondering whether I had a place in it, whether I was good enough, strong enough, you know, emotionally, mentally strong enough to, you know, to try to continue to try to forge my own path in this industry. And uh, writing that song just felt like a freedom. And as soon as that song was written, I was just like, okay, like, um, from here on in, there will be zero compromise in, in the art that I release. So, um, yeah, that was kind of a huge turning point for me. So we'll get back to that statement in a few seconds, but let's talk about the new single, uh, the last song. It's an emotional song, and uh, even the music video, you can tell that you poured your heart and soul into that music video and into the song. Um, was it hard to film that, the music video? Because yeah, it, I mean, while video, it looks like you enjoyed from the behind the scenes via Instagram, it looked like you enjoyed it. But to see the raw emotion that was put into it, was it hard? That it honestly, it was a long shoot. It was about 15 hours and it was probably um, and that's 15 hours of shooting. Never mind setup and tear down. Like it was a long ass day. And I had probably gone through like, I mean, you can see in the video, there's like 15 different looks. Like I had probably had, so my face was full of makeup and then I had to wash it off. And like, so that part was, was tiring, but I felt like I got hit by a truck 
when we wrapped that video because I was exhausted emotionally, like to have to, and just, I mean, the way that it was shot too, it was very, um, you know, just in your face and very straightforward. You couldn't really hide behind anything. So to kind of be that vulnerable for that amount of time, like I allow myself to be vulnerable in like very small pockets and with very few individuals in my life. So, um, to just to recognize that this was going to be going out to everyone and, uh, there was a lot of power in that, but I was definitely nervous as shit too. And what is the backstory of that song? Um, from what I understand, it's a, about a, a past relationship for you, correct? Yeah, yeah. So this was a, a relationship that I kind of found myself in about six months after Canadian Idol ended. Uh, my first relationship after the show, my first relationship in Toronto. Um, and uh, it, it was everything in my life was a whirlwind at that point. I mean, I was still kind of um, on top of the world in a sense and everything was moving so quickly you know we were shooting music videos and I was writing uh, in the process of creating the first record and my relationship with Sony at the time was really weird uh, and my relationship with my manager at the time was weird and I had moved away from family and I was still trying to build my support network of friends in the city and everything it was just a clusterfuck uh, and then I met this guy who was amazing and kind of like took me under his wing a little bit and just took really good care of me. And then it was probably about like six or seven months into our relationship. It's still very, very new. Um, but it just started becoming more and more clear to me that he had this idea of me that was very false. I think that he um, fell in love with the the character that he saw on Canadian Idol, as opposed to just allowing me to be, you know, a real person with faults and weaknesses, you know, like we all have. Um, so we were together for, I mean, not even that long, maybe 14 months, 15 months. And uh, we were living together at the time. And I came home uh, one evening after being out with friends and <clears throat> he was gone. All of his stuff was gone. His I was using his piano at the time. The piano was gone. Uh, it was literally like he didn't exist anymore. Like he, we talk about the term like ghosted, but like this was legit ghosted. Like he, he was gone. And it took probably a few days, maybe closer to a week before I even heard from him. Uh, so I was just devastated. And then just because I was, you know, still in that very raw emotional state and didn't have a lot of self-confidence or self-worth, I just spent the better part of probably close to two years uh, trying to, like, win him back. And he would say things to me like, uh, you know, maybe if you could just chill out, like, we could make this work. Or maybe if you, maybe if you weren't so dramatic, we could make this work. Or... Uh, you know, maybe if you were a bit more of a bro, we could make this work. And like, and I just bought it and I was like, okay, okay. Like I'll do those things. So that's kind of where the video came from is literally just trying to be everything that someone wants. So uh, had you just to make it work. 
So had you had this song in your back pocket for a while then, or was this something that sort of came last minute to the album and you said, you know what, I think this is the perfect song, quote unquote, I, this needs to be the last song on the album because it is so serendipitous of Call the Doctor. Right. I mean, this is a song that I've been trying to write for, you know, the better part of a decade. I have started it and ended it and there is probably hundreds of crumpled up pieces of paper somewhere um, that it was just a really difficult song to write because I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I just didn't know how I wanted to say it. Um, So when I got into the studio this time, uh, the EP was kind of coming to a close. We had chosen the songs for it, um, but I was still writing. And I wrote this song with a friend of mine named Ari And I think we had the song written and recorded in less than an hour. Wow. It literally just wrote itself. Um, And I think that's why, like, there is something very simple and straightforward, even about the lyrics. There's there's no really hiding there. It's it's not poetic. It's not profound. It literally is just kind of like it's exactly what it is. It's just looking someone in the eye being like, I can't. I have to close this chapter now. Like, this is the last song. Now, I've got to ask the question. I'm not sure if the question's been asked before, but has that person in your life come back out and said, hey, I've heard the song. This is not how I remembered it. (laughs) Um, I think that he's too much of a coward to ever reach back out to me. Um... And at the end of the day, I'm sure that he does remember things. I mean, that's kind of just the beauty of life in a sense. I'm sure that he does remember things very, very differently. Um, And I hold no, you know, anger towards him for that. You know, I think that as humans, we experience things very differently. And we were both at very different times in our lives um, and both kind of dealing with um, a lot of the same things, feeling, you know, unwanted and so I think that uh, I definitely want absolutely nothing to ever do with him in any sense Uh, and he probably feels the same way (laughs) okay (laughs) no worries um so after hearing the song. <laughs> so you, you've put together uh, the last song. You've made the music video. Is there another single on the album coming out before the next studio album? Or what's the next what's the next step for Theo Tams? Um, so we're actually I'm redoing uh, the video for the last song, um, which will be coming out in a couple weeks. Um, I'm not in it. I'm in it a couple times, but it's pretty much just submissions from the public and from the fans. Um, I kind of put out a call maybe about three weeks ago, a month ago, saying that, um, and it was more so just because I got so many messages once the video came out that people were seeing themselves in these different characters uh, that were created. And they were just like, oh, that reminds me of me and my ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, or that reminds me of me and my dad who left when I was a kid. So I started seeing that, you know, this video was meaning so much to people and I wanted them to kind of be a part of the visual as well. So um, I narrowed it down to about 30 uh, submissions. And uh, so it's and I love 
this video almost more than the original. It's it's so cool to see the creativity that people have and, and willing to kind of put themselves out there too. Um, so that video comes out and then uh, we already have a couple singles lined up from from the next record. So one was supposed to be coming out in May, uh, just given the whole situation, we're kind of pushing it back, but it'll probably be in the summer sometime. So yeah, new music coming out. It's nuts. And so talk, talk to me about that, uh, that, connection with the audience because you you put out a call for uh potential submissions for videos and some people might say okay if i get like five i'll be happy but for you it seems like you had more than enough to make a video so what was that connection how do you connect with your audience and how do you make sure that they feel like you are their friend because i i see you on instagram i see you on facebook i see you on twitter and you are connecting with the audience in a way that artists don't typically do I think, I mean, I've said it from the very, very beginning. Um, when you come from a show like Idol or The Voice or anything where the public has to vote for you, like the reason why I even have a chance at being in this business is because of the fans and because of people who took time out of their lives. They could have been doing a lot of other different things than picking up their phone and sitting there voting for two hours. Um, so I, there still is so much gratitude there. Um, and then also I've, I've always said since the very beginning that I rely on the three F's, uh, family, friends, and fans, and that those often are the same thing. And I've always tried to kind of, uh, build my career around that. If you are a fan of mine, then I want to get to know you and I want to get to know you as a friend and hopefully that friendship parlays into you being a part of my broader family. Um, I have fans who I've had for, you know, close to a decade and, you know, we constantly talk and we constantly check in with each other. Um, and I think that that's kind of the career that I've always tried to, to build is that I don't want to be so separate from you on the other side of a screen that, uh, you feel that like I'm I'm not accessible. I feel like I'm the most accessible person. <laughs> like I'm such an open book. Uh, also, sometimes I think maybe a little bit to my detriment. Uh, my team often talks about the fact that like you know there has to be a certain element of of mystery and and I was just like listen like the first time these people saw me I had fucking sweat stains down to like my ankles so. Like, I think the mystery is gone, you know? <laughs> so with everything going on in the world right now, you you aren't able to get out there and connect with them one on one. Uh, how are you connecting with the audience, uh, with your fans uh, during this time of COVID-19? I think obviously, I mean, like social media is exactly that. It's meant to be social. Um so I've been relying so much on Instagram and Facebook to just constantly be, uh, yeah, just checking in and kind of letting people know what I've been up to. And I've been doing a bunch of music stuff. I've been, I'm actually writing a musical right now with a good friend of mine, something that I never thought I would do, but then the quarantine brought out all the gay in me. Um, <laughs> So doing that, I've been like spending a lot of time in my kitchen 
and I've been like fermenting a bunch of shit. My apartment has become like fermentation station. Like I got like kombucha going and kimchi and all this stuff. So I've just been sharing what I've been up to and I'm so curious what other people have been up to. And I think that there is so much like productivity pressure right now too, that we're all staying home and people are going nuts. But I think at the end of the day, productivity aside, I think the only thing that we really need to hope for with all of this is that number one, we make it to the other side and two, that we get there with like a shred of sanity because this has been so difficult for people. Um, so if I can offer even just a smile throughout the day or a music video or a cover song or a picture of my dog, which makes people laugh, like then I think that's all kind of uh, part of, of just engaging and, and letting people know that like I might have a career that's different than yours, but I'm in the exact same position. Now, um, when COVID-19 is all said and done, and hopefully that will not last too much longer, but who knows how long we are going to be in this new quote unquote normal. Um, is there a tour? Is there a tour potentially in your future? Uh, was there going to be a tour before this all said and, uh, said and ha uh, COVID happened? Yeah, I mean, it's super disappointing just because we had a lot of really, really, really great plans for the summer and for the fall. Um, a lot of shorter tours. We were going to do Alberta for 10 days, but 10 days straight. Uh, we were going to do Ontario and Quebec for like 10 days straight. Um, so just kind of breaking it up throughout the summer and the fall. Um, but I mean, I like the most important thing right now is that like we all kind of play our part so that this can be done with sooner rather than later um it's been a blessing in disguise to kind of be stuck at home and thrown into some old hobbies that i've been neglecting and to kind of connect with who i am outside of this crazy industry uh just because it can definitely take its toll um but it's been amazing and i'm so stoked to get back out there because i feel like um the show that I'm going to be presenting is just going to be that much stronger and that much more well-rounded now. So um, everything I think it sounds cliche. Uh, it's like an Oprah Winfrey moment, I'm sure, but it like it, everything happens for a reason. And I think I just had to look at this as an opportunity to kind of start tightening up some, some loose ends. Now, uh, just about your, uh, your style on stage what do you prefer and i i asked this to all uh, musicians do you prefer the small intimate crowds of sort of a house party or do you prefer the big concert venues where you have hundreds of fans screaming at you saying play this song play that song so what do you prefer or do you like both or is there benefits to both i think there's definitely benefits to both my favorite is like a dark soft seat small theater um i just feel like i want people to feel as though when the lights go down that they're sitting in my living room and we're just hanging out and i'm sharing stories and um my show's very interactive i talk you can probably tell that i love to talk i talk a lot uh so i talk to my audience a lot and we get to know each other um 
I call people up on stage and we do stuff together. So I think that uh, that's a lot harder to do in a big space, a big venue. Um, but I mean, obviously, the nice thing about a big venue is just the energy that that brings. Um, I think one of my favorite performances was when I did We Day um, several years back, and it was that was just incredible. I mean, to have like you know fifteen thousand you know young young kids just wanting to change the world it was it was a really cool moment to be a part of that for sure do you do you get chills when people start singing your song back to you while you're performing live on stage because uh, because to put an anecdote into here i did that with my first concert i went to and that was yours at the belleville empire theater and you were singing along and i i you were singing uh fair weathered friends and i would literally start singing it to the detriment of my cousin who was sitting right beside me shoving me saying stop singing because you're gonna s- screw him up <laughs> <laughs> um I have this like really uncanny habit of being like the most awkward individual. Sometimes I think that uh, I think that I'm pretty good at hiding it, but it definitely comes out. I can be just awkward as fuck. So I think the first couple times that like I'd see people like melding the words, I would just get like I didn't even know how to handle it. Like I was just so giddy, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like, and then I stopped singing, and like. Yeah, it was just, it was a whole thing. So, um, but it is something that is extremely special and just very humbling. And what about hearing yourself on the radio for the first time? I still, like, lose it when I, when they play my shit on the radio. Really? It will never get, yeah, it never gets old. It never gets old. Do you remember the first time you heard it? I do. I was actually, it was right after the finale and we were driving to Canada AM the next morning and we heard it on the drive. I think that that was scheduled though. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was scheduled. Um, but it's, it's more so strange when like I'll be in like Walmart or shoppers drug mart or something. And like lazy lovers comes on or like stay comes on. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> do you go, go around people, once, poke people say, this is my song guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. I remember once I was in line. Uh, this is when lazy lovers came out uh, and lazy lovers did really, really well on the radio. And I remember uh, being in line. I think it was – I was back home in Alberta in Lethbridge. I was at London Drugs, I think, and that song came on the radio. And I was going through, like, the checkout, and the cashier looks at me. And this is from my hometown, so I thought maybe I'd have, like, some cachet. And uh, she just looks at me, and she's just like, if I hear this fucking song one more time – and I was just like, oh, I know, eh? Like, I just totally played along. But then I left and I was like, ouch, like, come on, Lethbridge, have my back. <laughs> but they do now, right? You have to admit, like, they must have your back now. They do. I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about growing up in southern Alberta. Uh, for me at the time, it was like a really kind of shitty environment. Just because coming out in southern Alberta wasn't the easiest thing to do. Um, And I still don't think that it is. But I love hearing the fact that Lethbridge has a pride parade now and a pride festival. Um, They didn't when I lived there. Um, So it's really nice to see these these types of changes uh, 
that are being made and that are, are kind of presenting themselves. So yeah, nothing but good things to say, but I'm definitely, I always love to go home and visit, but I will never go home to live again. <laughs> well, I'm originally from Ontario and I would say the exact same thing about rural Ontario. So I will never go back to living in rural Ontario. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just not for me anymore. Um, so uh, yet again, another anecdote here. Um, when my husband and I were getting married, uh, I, I he we got a list from the DJ of songs that we wanted to play, and on it was one of your songs. And I made like I circled it. I made sure that they knew that it had to be played. So at our wedding, which the uh, then premier of uh, Alberta was there, all the cabinet ministers were there. Uh, it was played, and I think I was the only one who was actually bobbing along to it because they didn't know because it was off your second EP. Uh, when you're around, so. I, I, you, your, your music has always spoken to me, and I've always made sure that my husband knows when uh, you, one of your songs comes on, you do not turn it. <laughs> there you go. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> um, so we'll get back to the original uh, question that you sort of brought up about your place in the industry. Where is your place in the industry right now? I think. You have to make a place for yourself in the industry. Um, I think that uh, the last song, and well, I would say not just the last song, but Call the Doctor kind of, I think, solidified my place in this industry. Um, I don't think that there's anyone in Canada who does exactly what I do. I don't think that there's a lot of uh, male singers who are willing to sing and to write about the things that I do. Um, I don't think that there's, I feel like I'm selling myself to you now. Uh, uh, I just feel like, you know, to be in this industry, you have to be willing to, uh, and just be expect or expect to hear the word no a lot. And Canadian Idol was one really great yes for me. Um, there have been, countless amount of no's uh, since um, but it's just being persistent and to recognize that persistence uh, in this industry persistence means more than talent so you really have to just keep on keeping on and um, for me it was a hard lesson to learn to kind of just uh, to start saying yes more uh, to certain things and to start saying no more to others. If it doesn't feel right to me, I say no immediately. Um, there's no convincing me anymore. I think that that comes with age and just comes with a bit more like being more secure in, in myself and, and the kind of music that I want to do. Um, but to say yes more to, to trying new things, you know, like there would be dozens of times over the past several years that I'd be in the studio and we'd be writing a cool song and we'd be vibing with it and by the time the session was over I'd be like oh that's cool but let's pitch it to someone else because I'm not sure if I can pull that off you know and this time around you know post call the doctor um I've kind of just started saying like, well, why not? Like, why isn't that something that I could pull off? Because no one else is telling me that I'm telling that to myself. So it's just about getting out of your own way a little bit and just being willing to take some more risks. Uh, 
this is an industry that is so fickle um, and you really have to have a team that believes in you and supports you um, and I feel like I finally have that for the most part <laughs> I think that I could still use one or two more and maybe bounce one or two out <laughs> we won't say who though <laughs> No, I'm absolutely. I'm not saying any names. Um, now, um, now, yeah. When you when I've heard interviews with past winners of Idol, even American Idol here in Canada, um, and they've gone out and they've left the label from what Idol started, um, they say it can be a blessing and a curse being a winner of Canadian Idol because you get labeled as the winner and that's all that people will see you for the rest of your life, and then you say people know you as that winner, so it's a good thing because your name is going to be in the lexicon of society for the rest of your life. So when you're hearing those no's, do you think it's more no, the Theotams, the uh, not Canadian Idol winner or Theotams, the Canadian Idol winner? I think 99% of the no's that I've received are because I won Canadian Idol. I think that it's... uh, it's a really sad, shitty part of the industry, especially because it's such a boys club. Like these are just old white straight men who think that they know anything about me or my talent because I was on Canadian Idol once. So that's annoying as fuck. (laughs) And, uh, but I mean, I also kind of knew what I was getting into. I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, like I was on the last season of the show. I could kind of see what the other winners had done, um, or not done. Uh, at that point, um, Kalen Porter's a perfect example. I mean, like, he was probably the biggest to come from the franchise of Canadian Idol. He was huge, two great records. Uh, and then he kind of um, slowly started to just drop off and, and pursue other things. And, you know, uh, Eva Avila is still doing music, Brian Mello is still doing music. Um, and I encourage people to to look them up and to listen to what they're doing now. I mean, we've all changed so much. I think the difference for me is that I <clears throat> was a bit more realistic uh, with what was going to happen. So I think I was already searching for another partnership when I was maybe two or three months into my deal with Sony. Oh, wow. Like I knew. I knew that I was going to get bounced. So I was already trying to build those connections. And I think that's why uh, one of the reasons that I got into Slate Music so quickly um, was because I met Gary Slate uh, at the Junos in 2009. Uh, So that's about six months after the show ended. And that was my first conversation with him. And I just remember him saying, like, when things slow down for you, come in for a meeting because Slate Music was kind of right in its like beta stage at that point. They were just kind of starting up and uh, I've kind of been with them ever since. I was kind of working with Slate Music-ish when I was still kind of contractually working with Sony. Would you- Sony was shit. Like, it was just an arranged marriage. Like, they didn't want to work with me. I didn't want to work with them. Like, it was just a disaster. So, yeah. Would you do it again? Oh, gosh. Seems like you've never like, been asked that question. 
Like knowing what I know now. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, uh, would you go back and do the whole Canadian Idol thing again? I I 100% would. Um, I think if I lived in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, where there was a few more avenues to kind of uh, get heard and build a path, um, then maybe not. But given the fact that I was from Coaldale, Alberta, I think that it was a really great avenue to get me in front of people that could help me get to where I wanted to be. And I'm still in front of those people and I'm still trying to get to where I want to be. Um, but every project and every single is getting me closer and closer to that goal. So that's something that I think, you know, one thing that a lot of established artists say about uh, the contestants who go on these shows is that, you know, you haven't paid your dues yet. Well, we pay our dues after we're on the show. <laughs> like, it's all old. Let me tell you, like, I'm still paying my dues from going on that show. So, uh, but I've, that's always kind of been part of my personality, too. Like, I have no problem uh, knocking down doors and proving people wrong. I think that it's part of, uh, it's one of my strengths is that like you can tell me no a hundred times to my face and I will still do my best to convince you that I'm worth a yes. So. Now, um, what advice would you give to the young gay musician in rural Canada right now trying to break into that music industry? And not even just gay musician, young musician who's trying to break it into the music industry. Right. Um, I would say spend a lot of time doing research. Um, create, just hone your craft, continue to work on your craft. Don't put shit out until it's good. Um, listen to music constantly start researching who the biggest producers are and what's happening trend wise and then break all of those trends and do your own thing um, and trust your instinct I think that's the one thing that I would say that I wish that I did sooner is to trust my instinct one thing that I think we forget as creative people only because the business side of it is so heavy and so weighted sometimes we forget that like the one thing that connects us all is human experience and human emotion um and that doesn't matter if you're gay straight white black poor rich we all know what fear feels like we all know what hurt feels like we all know what joy feels like so write that down sing those songs that's I think that's what my advice would be and and my last question for you Theo before I let you go um, looking back on your life so far are you happy the way it's turned out I oh my gosh no one's ever asked me that seriously no one's never asked you that <laughs> no one has ever asked me that no, I feel like, uh, I just got goosebumps. I was like, that's such a personal question. Um, I, my definition of success has changed countless times. 
over the past decade. And uh, I am more than fortunate, I think, to be a working musician, first and foremost. I have um, a great partner who we've been together for nine years. We have an awesome stepdaughter together, or I have a stepdaughter, it's his daughter. Um, I have a great dog, you know, like I don't struggle financially, uh, which is a blessing, especially in these times when the world is upside down. Um, I have still have huge goals and huge aspirations, but I, um, yeah, there is an absolute, uh, feeling of like peace and contentment. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I want to thank you very much for this. This has been insightful and uh, I hope you got something out of it. And I know sometimes the interviews can go sideways. So I want to appreciate for being open, honest and candor. <laughs> A lot of candor in there. So much appreciate it. <laughs> yes, likewise. I appreciate it. It was awesome talking with you. Once again, thank you to our guests for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week. Mm -hmm.